All right, so uh, <clears throat> we come to this passage here uh, in the book of Mark, um, and we are on the last leg of our journey towards Jerusalem. The next passage we're going to be looking at next week uh, is Jesus entering into the gates of Jerusalem. And so this is sort of the last leg of, of Jesus' uh, trek towards Jerusalem. We'll be looking at Palm Sunday next week. And we come to these uh, two uh, seemingly disconnected stories. Um, on the one hand, we come to uh, uh, this interaction between Jesus, James, and John. James and John come up to Jesus and make this uh, sort of bald-faced re- request to sit on thrones with Jesus. And, uh, and then we come to this uh, interaction between this blind man named Bartimaeus uh, with Jesus, where Jesus heals this, this blind man. And uh, they, they seem very disconnected. Uh, they seem like they really don't have uh, much to do with one another, uh, except that they are connected, and they're connected by one question uh, that Jesus asks both of these parties. One question that he asks both of these parties, and we find it in verse uh, 36 and verse 51. If you want to look here uh, with me at verse 36. Uh, right after James and John make the request, Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? And then he asks the same thing of Bartimaeus in verse 51. What do you want me to do for you? Uh, this is the question that ties together this entire passage. Uh, it's the question that makes this whole passage one integral whole. And it's, it's a very uh, piercing question that Jesus asked the disciples. What do you want me to do for you? Uh, or put another way, what are you hoping to get from me? Uh, Jesus is asking both of these uh, parties, uh, what are you expecting from following me? Uh, James and John, you've been following me along the way towards Jerusalem for, the, for a long time, for a couple years now. When you get into Jerusalem, what are you expecting to get from me? Why are you following me, James and John? What are your uh, hopes? What, what do you think that you can get from this relationship that you have with me? Bartimaeus, you're crying out for mercy. What are you expecting to get from me? Uh, why, are you, why are you crying out out to me. It's a question of expectation. Um, It's a question of motivation. And this is the question that Mark wants us to ask ourselves uh, in this passage. As disciples, we are called uh, to join the apostles in following Jesus along the way. And Jesus wants to ask you and me this morning in this passage, what are you hoping to get from me? Uh, What are you expecting to get from this relationship that you have with me? Why are you following me? What are your motivations? What are your desires? What are your expectations? What are you hoping to get from me? Uh, This is the question of the text. And it's a question that we ask uh, all the time, and we get asked all the time. You know, why do I want this job? Uh, What am I hoping to get from it? Why am I marrying this person? What am I hoping to get from that? Why am I doing this or that? You know, I've been asked that question every interview that I've been in. I was asked... Uh, when I interviewed for this job. Uh, I also remember I, I, I got asked that, question, that very same question when I interviewed for uh, Starbucks. Many of you know that during my time uh, in college, I worked for Starbucks. And the manager asked me that question as well. And I remember because the reason that I was working for, that I wanted to work at Starbucks was because I wanted money. <laughs> you know? uh, I was about halfway through my bachelor's and I was, I was, you know, I was running out of money, and I needed some sort of job to help me get through my, my school. And I got this interview because a friend who had worked there referenced me to the manager. And he started out with, so Lucas, what are you hoping to get from this job? Why do you want to work at Starbucks, this, uh, this company? And I was like, man, Lucas, you've got to come up with some sort of creative answer here. Um, and I was trying to come up with something. I, I think I said something like, you know, man, I just really want to energize people. 
to get through their day. You know, I just really want to get people started on the right foot, you know. Um, but that was not the reason why I wanted to work at Starbucks. The reason why I wanted to work at Starbucks was because I wanted the money. I wanted the paycheck. And, um, you know, I didn't even drink uh, coffee before I started working at Starbucks because I got addicted to coffee when I was working at Starbucks. And the reason was because I had to get up at 4 a.m. But why, you know, why do you want to work here, Lucas? Oh, man, that's a good question, you know. Uh, but these are questions that we ask all the time. You know, why am I in this relationship? What am I hoping to get out of it? Why am I working here? What am I hoping to get out of it? And this is the question that Jesus asks us. As disciples, what are you hoping to get out of this relationship that you have with me? What are your expectations? Uh, why are you, what motivates you to get up out of bed and follow me on a daily basis? Right? Isn't that a piercing question that Jesus asks us? And it's a question that we all have to answer at some point in our lives. We all have to come to the reality and to the terms of why we're following Jesus. Why are we following him? This is the point of this, this text. Now what Mark does in, in this text, though, is he puts these two stories back to back because he wants to compare and contrast. On the one hand, you have James and John. And what we'll find out very soon is that James and John have one uh, set of expectations that are totally selfish, uh, totally wrong-headed, uh, totally uh, misunderstood. They have one set of expectations uh, that are wrong. And then Bartimaeus, this blind man Bartimaeus, has another set of expectations uh, that is right. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at just two points this morning, and we're going to be comparing and contrasting. Uh, we're going to be comparing the disciples' expectations uh, with Bartimaeus' expectations. And uh, hopefully we'll find... Uh, our own expectations for following Jesus along the way. All right, so let's go ahead and um, jump into uh, our first point, which is what do the disciples want from Jesus? What are their greatest hopes? What are their motivations? What are their expectations uh, for following Jesus? And, um, you know, James and John come right out with it. If you, if you want to look here in verse 36, uh, they say in verse 35, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And in verse 37, they said, to them, they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand, in glory. So what do James and John want? They want to sit on thrones, one at, the right, one at his, uh, Jesus' right hand and one at Jesus' left hand. Now what does that mean, though? Uh, well, we have to remember the context. Uh, as Jesus is going to Jerusalem, he continually tells the disciples that he, when he goes in going to Jerusalem, he's not going there uh, to set up some political power. He's not going there to overthrow Rome. He's not going there to get glory and honor and prestige. Why is he going there? Well, he's going there to suffer and to die at the hands of Rome and the Jewish leaders. He's going there to give up his life. That's the vocation of the Messiah. That's why the Messiah has come. Uh, but in the disciples' minds, they couldn't conceive of a Messiah who would suffer and die. What they expected from the Messiah was uh, for, the, for the Messiah to roll into Jerusalem uh, on a white horse, and uh, you know, our, our hopes will be dashed next week, but you know, roll into Jerusalem, uh, you know, a big deal, sit on a throne, get a, get, a, get a sword, and lead an army to overthrow Rome. Right? They were hoping that the Messiah would lead Israel to be the top dog, the top nation, 
Uh, They expected the Messiah to have riches and power and prestige. And, you know, what's interesting is, you know, we're told uh, that as they're going into the the road to to, uh, Jerusalem, they get to Jericho. And Jericho is the very last stretch before you get to Jerusalem. Uh, And if you're a disciple and you want to be Jesus' right-hand man, you know, what are you going to do on the last stretch to Jerusalem? <laughs> You're going to walk right next to Jesus and say, you know, Jesus, um, I could help you out here. You know? uh, I could be your right-hand man. I could help you set up this kingdom. And this is exactly what James and John are doing. Right on this last stretch, they're trying to get on Jesus' good side so that what? They can get riches and power and glory. And so Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Well, Jesus, we want to be your right-hand man. We want to be your left-hand man. Uh, in other words, why are, why are James and John uh, following Jesus? Why do they get up you know, at the beginning of the day? Why do they roll out of their beds following him and obeying him and honoring him? What's their expectation? Well, they expect riches. In other words, Their expectation is that from following Jesus, they will get the good life. (laughs) They're going to get the life of power and comfort and glory and accolades. They're going to get crowds following them, bowing down to them. The entire reason that that they're following Jesus is not because they love him. It's not because they think that, that he'll save them. It's just because they want the riches. They want the good life. And how do they get there? Well, Jesus is their ladder to get to the good life. Okay? Uh, they were using him. He was a tool in their hands to give, him, uh, to give them what, what they wanted. Right? They were using him. And you know, we've all had those friends that you know, hang out with us and are close to us, but then we come to find out that they want something that we have. Right? Uh, I found that out last week when I, uh, I used Cody's truck <laughs> to help me move a couch. And, uh, you know, Cody's the new guy, and um, I felt bad. And I said, dude, I'm so sorry. Let me just take you to lunch here. And he says, dude, you have no idea. When you, when you own a truck, <laughs> you have no idea how many people ask to use my truck, you know. Uh, I'm the guy with the truck, and so what do I do? I help move couches, you know. Uh, that's what happens. You know, people use you. Um, during tax season, I call my dad more often. <laughs> hey, Dad. How you doing? How's life? Oh, good. Hey, I need, I have a question. <laughs> right? We all have those friends that we use to get things. We're not, we're not proud of it. We're ashamed of it, but it's there. Why were the disciples following Jesus? Because they wanted riches. And, you know, what, what's interesting is, you know, James and John are sort of highlighted here. Uh, the question comes to a climax here. What do you want from me? But if you pay attention the disciples want just, all of the disciples want what James and John want. Because if you look here at verse 41, it says that the disciples were indignant with James and John. Right? Which means they were jealous. Right? James and John are trying to roll in and get, a, you know, get the inside way to power and riches and glory and fame. And the disciples are like, ah, You know? All the disciples expect this Messiah figure to be kingly and glorious and rich. And they want that. Jesus is the path to the good life for the disciples. In other words, 
They are believing the heresy of the prosperity gospel. Right? What's the prosperity gospel? Jesus will give you the good life. He'll give you everything you've ever wanted. He'll give you the American dream as long as you follow him and honor him and obey him. As long as you do what Jesus says, right, he's going to give you that beautiful wife, that handsome husband, the 2.5 kids. He's going to give you that big house. He's going to give you the white fence. As long as you follow him, he's going to give you the good life. That's what these disciples are believing, and that's what they're expecting from their relationship with him. They're believing this prosperity gospel. Now, what's fascinating here is um, Jesus, you know, if I were Jesus, I'd be like, you guys, get out of here, you know. <laughs> you guys are just using me. Uh, but he doesn't do that. Uh, and in fact, he doesn't say that they can't have the glory. But if you look here at verse 38, uh, Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking for. Okay? You don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I will drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. Um, now, what is, what is Jesus saying there? Well, these are, the cup and the baptism are metaphors to the suffering of the cross. Jesus is drinking the suffering of the cross. He's being baptized into our death. Right? That's what baptism symbolizes, going down to death and rising up again. Jesus says, listen, you have no idea what you're asking for. You can have glory, but there's only one way to get it. And that's by suffering with me. That's by dying with me. That's by being baptized and drinking the cup with me. That's by following me to the cross. Jesus says, listen, you can have all that, but you have to suffer first. And they did. You know, all of the disciples minus one were martyred. You know, tradition says that Peter was uh, you know, crucified upside down. All of the disciples were martyred. They suffered with Christ. Uh, that's what James and John were asking for, and they didn't even know it. Uh, they didn't understand what the Messiah had come to bring. What they thought was that the Messiah was just a ladder to the top, was just a way to get riches, uh, was just a way to get what they wanted. Uh, they saw Jesus like, you know, just like a cosmic Santa Claus, a gumball machine, right? Put in, put in the right code and you get what you want, you know? And, um, you know, I think that most of us can understand, you know, this is uh, wrong-headed. These guys are selfish. These guys are sinful. Uh, we, can, we, can, we can see that, at least intellectually. But almost all of us have expectations from following Jesus that are totally selfish and totally unbiblical. Uh, almost all of us can almost instinctively fall prey to this mindset that says, you know what, I follow Jesus, therefore he gives me what I want. Uh, and just, and just look at the way you react when bad things happen in your life. How do you, re, how do you react uh, when bad things happen, when you lose your job, when you don't get that promotion, when you get into a fight with your spouse, uh, when your kid acts up or whatever? When something bad happens, what is the first thing that comes to your mind, as a Christian at least? Or at least maybe this is just me. <laughs> but God, what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? I, I gave you all my obedience. I put in the right code. Right? Um, how do you react when bad things happen? And, uh, you know, I was faced with this when, when we had our, first, our second child, Eliza. Uh, she had uh, an awful time uh, sleeping at night. Uh, just for the, the, you know, the first few months, she would just wake up, and it would take like three or four hours just to get her down. And so I started praying. I was just like, I'm just going to pray. I don't know what else to do. I'm so tired, <laughs> you know. 
I'm just going to pray that God would just let me sleep. You know, I'm a better person when I sleep. So I prayed and prayed and prayed, and 2 a.m. comes around, and the baby starts crying, okay? And what goes on in my head? God, I prayed, I put in the right code. Why is the baby up? You know? And that's totally wrong-headed. That's totally wrong-headed. It's totally this sort of, God, I gave you my obedience, I prayed this prayer, now give me what I want. You know? Um, I also remember there's this one time where a, uh, my wife and I went out to uh, eat one Friday night, and we came back, and it was really windy outside. We had this huge oak out in the, our front yard. And uh, we came back, and one of the most massive limbs fell right on top of our house. And it was like, it, luckily it fell on the edge, so that it was just the siding that was destroyed. There wasn't a hole in our roof. But I just remember looking at that and being like, and God, I do so much for you. <laughs> I do so much, you know. You should be thankful, you know. And how sinful is that? How selfish is that for me to say that or think that? I didn't say it. But we all think this instinctively. God, I give you my life. I give you my all. I give you my obedience. I put in the right code. I follow you along the way, and therefore, you give me X. Right? What are you expecting from following Jesus? If something was taken out of your life right now, think of, think of something that would, that would make you mad at God. Right? That's why you're following Jesus. And, and, and what Jesus is trying to say is, listen, that's not what I've come to do. I have not come to burst through the doors of Jerusalem and set up a throne and give my people everything they want. That's not what I've come for. That's not why I'm here. And so... Mark wants to uh, highlight that for us in this first point here. Well, let's go ahead and look at uh, Barnabas, now that we're all depressed. <laughs> uh, but let's go ahead and look at Barnabas, because Barnabas, uh, the seemingly random figure, is actually highlighted by Mark. Uh, and he's not just highlighted, he's given a name, uh, and, and he gives us the name of his father. Um, he's highlighted in this story for some reason. And we'll soon find out that he is the prime example of what it means to follow Jesus and what to expect from him. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, read here verses uh, 46 through, uh, through 48 here. And they came to Jericho. So this is sort of the last stretch until they get to Jerusalem. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he had heard that he was with uh, Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay? Now, we don't know much, uh, like, you know, like I just said, we don't know much about Bartimaeus except for what Mark tells us here. He's a blind beggar, and presumably this is sort of where he sets up camp. Uh, on this road to uh, Jericho, he sits here on the side of the road, and he asks for money or for food or whatever it is. Uh, but Jesus and his uh, disciples, and, and, and says a large crowd, are making their way up to, uh, uh, to Jerusalem through uh, this road. And somebody tells them that Jesus of Nazareth is here. Now, what's striking here is uh, the name that Bartimaeus gives to Jesus. Because they don't tell him who Jesus is. They just say, here, Jesus of Nazareth is here. And the disciples were sort of confused as to his identity. Peter does sort of make this confession, but they're sort of confused as to who this Messiah guy is. And Bartimaeus, this blind man who can't see a thing, makes this confession. Okay? And it's supposed to be ironic. 
this, blind guy, this blind guy who can't see a thing is spiritually eyes wide open. He can see more than the disciples can. He knows who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? He's the son of David. Uh, this is a confession that is uh, linked to all sorts of prophecies about who the Messiah would be. The Messiah would be in the royal lineage of David, uh, which means Bartimaeus knew what he was talking about. He had read the scriptures, he had studied, he knew who the Messiah would be. And this uh, catches Jesus, uh, and so he turns to him and he asks Bartimaeus what he wants. So if you look here in verse 51, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. Okay, so on, on the one hand, you know, a request to be healed is it's not really anything uh, spectacular. You, you blind guy, you want to you see. Uh, but on the other hand, this is, Jesus says this guy has faith, uh, which means that something that Bartimaeus is saying is some sort of confession of faith of who the Messiah is and why he's come. Why has the Messiah come? Well, he's come to heal the sin-sick soul of Israel. He's come to bind up our wounds. He's come to make us well. And this is what Jesus is picking on because there's this, you know, if you read the Old Testament prophecies uh, in, in the prophets, like uh, in Isaiah 35, there's all of these prophecies about when the Messiah comes, when the Son of David comes, right? He's not going to roll up in Jerusalem, uh, you know, set up a throne. No, what, what he's going to do is he's going to heal the lame. Right? He's going to cause the blind to see. Right? He's going to heal Israel. So this is a confession of a blind man, and he's saying, listen, Messiah, I know why you've come. You have come to transform. You've come to heal us. You've come to restore us. Okay? And what, what's fascinating here is Jesus says, okay, you, you know who I am. You know why I've come. And so he says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. But notice what Bartimaeus does after Jesus says, go your way. What does he do? Immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Okay. Bartimaeus recovers his sight. He's healed. He's transformed. And Jesus says, okay, you can go now if that's what you wanted. And Bartimaeus says, no, I'm going to follow you on the way. Now, where is Jesus going? He's going to Jerusalem. What's he going to do in Jerusalem? Bartimaeus knows. He's not going. He's not going to sit on a throne and rule and power and riches and so on. He's going to suffer and die. Bartimaeus knows this. He says, now that you've transformed me, I'm going to go and suffer with you. Okay? So, so this is the whole point of this passage that Mark wants us to understand. What can you expect from Jesus? You can expect two things. <laughs> you can expect a hard, suffering life of transformation. You can expect a cross-bearing dying and rising life of healing and transformation. And this is the paradox of the Christian life that Mark wants to make clear. What can you expect from Jesus? He's not going to give you everything you want. And in fact, many of us know this. When you become a Christian, your life gets harder. Your life doesn't get easier. Much of your life gets harder. And you're suffering. And you're trying to obey. And it's grueling and it's hard. But that's what, not what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to give us everything that we want. 
He came to transform us. He came to make us new. And he came to call us to the cross so that we can be like him. What can you expect from Jesus? A life of hard, messy, cross-bearing transformation. Don't expect an easy life. Uh, Don't expect all of your dreams to come true, but expect transformation. That's the message of this passage. And it's one of the best news that you'll hear in your life. Because that means that you're, you know, the good or bad that's happening in your life is not contingent on what you do. It's not that, you know, oh, when I'm obedient, God gives me what I want. And when I'm disobedient, God's punishing me. It's no. I'm in my mess, and God is transforming me in that mess. I'm in the hard parts of life, and God is making me more like his son in the hard parts of life. And that's good, because life is hard. You know, I was just having lunch with uh, someone on Thursday and just saying, like, listen, you know, I've got two kids, one on the way. My life is messy. It's difficult. What's going wrong with me? And then you realize that that's the life that Christians are called to. Christians are called to hard, messy, transformed lives. Because what did Jesus do? He came into our mess and he entered into the darkness of our death. Why? To transform it. To make us new. Of anyone you would expect to have a good life, it would be Christ. And yet Jesus Christ was poor, rejected, dejected. He died a criminal's death. And yet in doing so, God took total delight in him. That's the life of discipleship. The life of discipleship is not God gives me what I want. I give him, I give him my obedience. He returns to me my desires. The life of discipleship is entering into the messiness with Christ and thereby being transformed and seeing for the first time who God is. God is one who enters into the darkness with us. Uh, and that's what discipleship is all about. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we just thank you uh, for Christ. And we thank you that in the gospel we see someone who is uh, <laughs> you know, poor, a nobody carpenter, and yet that's your son. That's the one who you take delight in, and that's the one who enters into our death to transform and to, rec- uh, to rescue us. Help us understand that when we're saved, when we follow Jesus along the way, he doesn't guarantee us a good life, but he guarantees us a, a transformed life. A life where we become new, a life where we become like him. And we pray that you'd give us that transformation uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And praise in Christ's name. Amen.